0: Some of you may be thinking that this is a long time coming, but we're going back. We're gonna don't turn there yet because I'm gonna take a, a side track first. But we're gonna go back to Ephesians today, and uh, it's only taking me a whole year to get through the book of Ephesians. So, <laughs> but let's start out in Genesis chapter one. Can we do that? <clears throat> Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter one. For those of us. Who are familiar we know that its it's talking about creation it's talking about God creating I love that amen section She is like, "I need to be dedicated <laughs> we're going to be doing that soon it's been on my mind I'm thinking about it. we'll get a date down so let's let's start out with verse 20 god's this majestic passage speaking about our God creating everything that is he is the creator everything that exists came from him Even the angels and all the the heavenly beings everything that exists. He was the source. He was the beginning <clears throat> But in verse 20 it says and God said I'm in the NIV if you're wondering and God said let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky so God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living and moving thing with which the water teems, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the water in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth." And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. Verse 24. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, (coughs) this is kind of key to us, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and of the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, he blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then it goes on and talks about God's provision for food for them. And in verse 31, and God saw that all saw all that He had made, and it was good. and there was evening and there was morning and the sixth day. So this is a, a key passage. I read, I read extensively through it because I wanted you to see things. God's purpose in creation was he was creating all the different types of creatures and things like that after their kind, that they would reproduce after their kind, that there were distinctions in different types and kinds. And then we see that he comes to mankind and he makes a distinction. Did you notice there's a distinction between mankind and all the creatures that are out there? Unlike what what uh, modern science would tell you, there is a distinction between man and all the other creatures. With all the the marvelous, uh, I mean, I've, I've got hummingbirds that fly to my window, and I love to see the colors and the the beauty of it, and I love to see the... The uh, the butterflies and the complexity that's there. And every creature that you lay your eyes on, if you look at it, it has got its own level, uh, degrees of, of complexity and uh, just amazing craftsmanship in how God made them. But when God came to mankind, there was a distinguishing thing. He said, let's make man in our image. So unlike... All the other creatures that were just a display of God's creativity, his ability, when it came to, can I just go ahead and say it this way? When it came to us, there was a higher level. We weren't just cre- creative, we were demonstration and a display of what God's, God was like, God's image, God's nature, the potential for that inside of us, God created mankind to be different we're not the same as all the animals we're not the same as an old tree that just passes this these years and then dies and and it's gone no there's something special and distinct inside of us and he says when he when he in verse 28 let us god bless them and said to them be fruitful and increase in number so The few, Adam and Eve, that were created, he encourages them to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth with what kind of image? Just humanity? No, with the image of God. Think about that. That that nature, that character on display would fill the earth and in so doing would subdue the earth and rule over it. That was God's original design and plan for mankind, not what we see on the news every night and not what we see in the harsh reactions to one another and the violence that's out there. That's not what God wanted. Our, Our mission, our goal, our mandate that God created us by was that we would be a display of what he is like and that we would exert. Authority and rulership and we would subdue put things in order the way they need to be in order and that we would even rule over the animals that are out there Isn't that amazing? And what I'm wanting to do in this I we need to elevate the perspective of who we are and what God has us in the Here, here on the earth to do. We're not just surviving to get by. We're not just living our way through life We're not just getting by God's got a calling and a purpose for our lives. And with that in mind, can we please turn to to Ephesians chapter 6? And I'm going to try to get to my notes. Ephesians chapter 6, all of a sudden, we, the last passage that we dealt with here umpteen weeks ago, because God had me in different directions, but, but the last thing that we dealt with talked about the relationship between a husband and wife. And I don't know if you remember this, I do, I was the one who was preaching, but what stood out to me when I was studying, preparing for that was that there is no um, bar that God set that says that if your husband is faithfully fulfilling his duties for you, then wives submit to your husband's. And it doesn't say, husbands, if your wife is being the perfect wife that you always dreamed you should be, then you need to love her and treat her right. The obligation to do what you should do is solely on that individual. The husband, you should love your wife. I don't know where that came from. You should love your wife. You should be willing to give your life for her. You should pour out your life on her behalf. To make sure that she's taken care of. To make sure that she's protected. To make sure she has what she needs. Whether she's doing the right thing or not. I just got through in my chronological Bible read reading about about, uh, Gomer. When the prophet, which prophet is it now? Was it Micah? Hello? Thank you very much. Anyhow, where the prophet is told to go and marry a prostitute so that he can come to an understanding of what it's like for God when his people are unfaithful. So the prophet has to go out and marry someone that he knows is a prostitute. They have a relationship together. They start having kids together, and then she leaves and goes back into prostitution. And God tells him to go buy her back. He literally has to go and buy his wife who's left him and gone into prostitution, not just having an affair. She's gone into prostitution, and he has to buy her back and bring her back home and love her all over again and learn how to love her so that the prophet can know what it feels like for God and be able to communicate through that that passage what it is like for God to have a people that God had invested so much in and then they turned away from him. So, the responsibility of doing what is right lies solely on the individual. It is not something that you can look at your relationship to the other person and say, but they're not doing what they should be doing. Therefore, I don't have to do what I have to do. No, you need to do what's right regardless of what the other person's doing. Amen? So he comes, we went from husbands and wives, and then he turns to children and parents. And I'm sitting here talking to adults today because we let all the youth that need this get out. Where are all the children today? I should be over there. No, we're in the right place. So I'm going to go ahead and read through the four verses we're going to deal with today, and then we'll come back and look at them, okay? In the NIV, it says, verse 1, chapter 6, verse 1, Children, obey your parents. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with, with a promise, that it may go well with you and that, may, that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And then in the NIV, it says it this way, Fathers do not exasperate your children What an interesting choice of word don't exasperate your children Instead bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord Don't exasperate your children instead bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord I want to pause right here 11 minutes in and I would I want to pray can we do that? Good, because I've got the microphone. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you, dear God. Lord, I'm sitting here beginning to pray, and I'm saying, Heavenly Father, because that is a way that you've chosen for us to know you. And God, the way we adults live so greatly affect and influence the way that our children and our children's children understand what kind of God they have. Now, Lord, this, this life is filled with imperfect people, but God, but we do influence the people that follow us. And so, God, I pray that you'll guide our discussion this morning, your God, guide this message, Lord, and let it be seed that finds a place in soil that's receptive, and God, may it be exactly the right type of thing to us to produce what you desire in our lives. And God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen so remember what God's original mandate for mankind was Number one that we're going to produce in kind right we're going to be producing in kind, But he said multiply go out there and multiply and fill the earth God wasn't concerned about population explosion he wanted to explode you know Okay, let me just touch on something that's really another sidetrack, but they say that you could take all the people that live on the earth today and give them about one foot square and fit them into the, the, uh, 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 what do you call it, The uh, into the city boundaries of Jacksonville, Florida. Have you heard that? So... You talk about population explosion, I don't want to live in a one-foot square or, you know, just a little space. It It may be a yard. I can't remember what it is. But what I'm trying to say is there's a whole lot more land than there are people. The fact that people love to squeeze together in cities and build skyscrapers and smog them up is choice. There's a lot of land. We're just not spread out. We're congregating in, you know, we don't, till the land and keep the land and know how to do that anymore so we're dependent on the grocery store to provide food for us and we all are squeezed into these little spaces and when we got cars and factories and all that kind of stuff spewing out stuff it, it gets smoggy and things like that but but it's not that God didn't create a big enough planet for us it's how we're using the planet or abusing the planet so God said to multiply fill the earth but his intention is that in our filling the earth, we're also filling the earth with his character, his nature, and to, to put it in a different way, with his image, that we are reflecting what God is like, okay? And he starts out in this passage, and it's interesting to me that he starts out with children. And let's just go back, and, and he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Let's just take a little bit of time and dig into that. The word here is, is technon. I know Pastor Eric has spoken on technon on weos. But technon here, the, the word technon in the Greek is the word for child or children, depending on the, the, uh, the, the way it's used in plural or singular. But it's actually 77 times it's translated child, 21 times it's translated son, one times it's translated daughter. But the focus is that it's offspring. It's really not focused in the way it's used here on anything to do with the sex of the child, boy or girl. It's just talking about children. If you're a child, um, and so all children, what God's challenge is to us here, it says, children, obey your parents. And I, I, I don't want these adults here, all of us, to get disconnected this passage because it's very important. He says, obey your parents. Why do we obey our parents? Obey your parents, it says, and, and to the word obey literally is the word that says to to hear under in other words you're hearing what's saying what somebody is but you're submitting yourself to what you're hearing so when you're obeying you're hearing a command you're hearing direction and you're intentionally allowing yourself to be subservient to what you're hearing i, I, I don't know if any of you in here have ever experienced some a child or young person talk back to you or or disrespect you, you, never nobody None of you have ever done that, right? i tell you what, things have changed, though. You know, there are certain things that would never be tolerated in my the household that I grew up in. And nowadays, it's just, you know, the Bible talks about that happening, too. But to obey, strangely enough, means to obey, to be obedient to, to be subject to. Now, the word that's used for obeying here is very. it was interesting to me to look at a little bit because it's the same word that's used when Jesus stood on the bow on the boat and he said, peace be still to the wind and the waves. And the wind and the waves just calmed down. They obeyed his voice. They were subservient to him. It's the same word for the fact that when Jesus commanded the demons to do something, that the demons obeyed his voice. Do you think they wanted to obey his voice? But they did it anyhow. They didn't have a choice. They were under his authority. It even says that Jesus obeyed the will of the Father. That Jesus, being God, chose to submit himself to the will of the Father. See, obedience... Is a choice. It always is a choice. It also says that Abraham obeyed when God told him to leave where he was from and go to another land. So let's look at that a little bit. Obedience is a choice. It's obey your parents in the Lord. Obedience is a choice. Obedience is something that we decide to do. Obey. Your parents in the Lord, the word for parents there, you know, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time parsing out words here, but it just it means the begetters, those from which you have come. Obey those that you came from. Now, there's a whole lot that, that is, there can be a lot of things that are thrown up when we start really digging into this. And I'm not sure what your perspective was, but for a lot of people, there's a lot of justification in why not to obey. Okay, And I'm stepping aside from someone that's telling you to do something that's completely wrong and something that's completely against the, Lord, uh, the Lord's will. But just being obedient to someone, why would I be obedient to someone that mistreats me? Why? They don't care about me. They're just trying to get me to do things to, to serve them. They're lazy. They're not doing the right thing. They're trying to push everything off on me. Don't they see I've got more important things to do, why should I obey them? Why should I do that? Because there's always justification to say, well, but, but they mistreat me, or they don't, treat, they don't do what they ought to be doing themselves, or we can find all kinds of justification to say that those begetters, those parents in our life are somehow imperfect in the way that they're living, and, and they don't deserve to be obeyed. I am not willing to do that. You know what's interesting about that? There's no out in this passage. There's no stipulation or no guideline that says obey your parents if. The justification here is in the Lord. Obey your parents in the Lord. And, And what it means by that is because you are in the Lord, obey your parents. Because you have a relationship with the Lord, obey your parents. Obey your parents based on the fact that you have a relationship with the Lord. Can you imagine, okay, if the requirement was that your children only have to obey you if you're perfect? (laughs) There you go. Those of you who have had children, all of you parents who have been perfect parents, would you raise your hands? We can wait. We can my hands are down too. Just think about that. What if obedience only happened in life if somebody was perfect? What if people didn't obey the judge because the judge wasn't perfect? Or what if the army didn't obey the general unless the general was perfect? What if authority was only worthy of, of being obeyed because that person was a perfect person? What a mess society would be, and, and I mean, we would become victim to the strongest because no one would be obeying or working together to accomplish things. God instructs the children and says, look, obey your parents. Obey them, not because they're perfect. Obey them. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. You're in the Lord. That's what God's instructions are for you. Because you belong to the Lord. And that word for right there, because it's the right thing to do, this is right. Dikaios is the word in the Greek. Dikaios. And literally means, this is what duty demands. Look, you're a child. You're being raised up in a household. You need to obey your parents. Why? Because it's right. It is, it's your duty. It's your responsibility to do that. It's what's right. It's what duty demands. There's no out from that. And then it turns around and, and brings up another passage. And he says in verse, look, look at uh, verse 2. It says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and you may enjoy a long life on the earth. So what's the difference between honoring and obeying? what does it mean to honor somebody I mean out of the in the Ten Commandments that was that was put right in there for for young people to learn to honor their parents can I just I'm gonna raise the bar on this it's just not about young people honoring their parents it's about adults honoring their parents too why why is that so vitally important let me let me tell you folks stepping back just a little bit and saying there are no perfect parents. There's not a perfect situation. It's easy as a young person to look at your parents and say they got problems. And then there's a day that comes down the road when you have to wear those shoes. Sometimes you realize why there are problems. Sometimes you understand how frustrating it could be. Sometimes you understand how come parents aren't perfect all the time. And I hope that our, our our eyeglasses, since I'm attached to some, that those lenses change a little bit to get a little bit of different color and we start realizing it may be that those imperfect parents that sometimes just were not there and sometimes were there and you wish they weren't. And sometimes you had good parents who were doing the best that they could but they still hurt your feelings and and, and reacted at times in ways that felt like it crushed you. Sometimes, folks, now that we are adults, let's readjust our glasses and realize that sometimes those parents were working with all they had. Sometimes they were just making bad decisions, but there were things that had influenced their lives. There may have been things they were involved with, and I, I cannot tell you that there was a good reason for why they were they, the, the way they are because some people make bad decisions and some people, our, our, our upbringing and our life is not perfect. But it does us no good to sit and point fingers. See, honoring is an attitude. There's an action involved as well, but honoring is an attitude first. First. You know, you can be having, I I don't curse, but a strong word of emphasis would would help right here, but you can be having a, a really bad day and change your attitude in the middle of the day and change the way you feel about your day. Do you get that? You can have a really bad situation, try it sometime. You can be in a really rough situation just like, I'm not going to let this thing rule over me. I, you know, I am who I am. I'm, I'm going to have a good day. Other people's attitudes are not going to affect me. You cannot control other people's uh, emotions. You can't control other people's feelings about you, and you can't control other people's reactions to situations. But you can control your attitude. You can be in control of your attitude. Don't let other people... I like to say it this way. Don't let other people rent space in your brain and control what your life's going to be like. You get control of your own mind, your own attitude, your own actions. The commandment that was given in the Ten Commandments was to honor your mother and father. Now, I want you to be free from bad attitudes towards your parents. We can sit here and acknowledge that our experience may not have been the best. It may have been horrendous for some of of us. It may be that there was brokenness and pain and everything, and I, I trust that God would give you grace to be able to look at your parents and say, yes, some of them were broken people, some of them had bad habits, some of them may not have even been there. But if you will choose To take the attitude to honor your parents and find what was good. Find something that you can appreciate. Let me just tell you, it'll bring a world of healing into your life. Because you are aligning yourself, not just with them. You're aligning yourself with the Word of God. And there's a promise that follows. So, what was that? Accentuate the positive and eliminate the negative. What movie was that from? Oh, it's from a song, yeah. Accentuate the positive. Eliminate the negative. Start looking for the good in your parents. Start looking for the good in your people. Where there are holes and things that they couldn't get right, there may have been a lot of factors that were influencing them, and they may have made the wrong choices. But, folks, I can tell you this. I can can promise you this. If it wasn't for that man and woman that came together you would not be here. There is no other combination of humanity that could have come together to produce you. In all, I mean, the the statistics of all of that and the amazing genetic combinations that come together, you could not exist in the earth without those two people coming together. So if nothing else, the fact that you exist, you can thank the Lord for. And if you will find a way to bless their memory and to say thank you to the Lord and make a conscious decision to honor them, find something good. I've heard the testimonies (coughs) in how God worked this in people's lives, changed their perspective with regards to their parents, and in the change of that perspective brought healing inside of them and when... Opportunity was there when people were still around, was able to bring restoration and healing of relationships between parents and their children. The scripture says if you'll honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, all the other ones were giving commands, you know, love the Lord your God. You know, don't take idols. Don't worship idols. <coughs> Keep the Sabbath. But this, this uh, commandment, when it came, it brought a promise. It said that it may go well with you. That it may go well with you. And I just wanted to come back to my notes and look at it. That it may go well with you, turn out well with you, fare well, that you may prosper. There's a whole lot of different things that were listed out. Things may turn out well, and then it says that you may enjoy a long life in the earth. The word... For, there, there are several things that are in this passage that are only used like two or three times in Scripture, but the word for long life right there is macrochronos, which if you just think about that, you can kind of nail down macro and chronos having to do with time. A large life or a big life—it's only used one time in the Greek in the New Testament, right here in this passage. There was a promise, of course, in the in in, uh, in the the Greek version of the Old Testament in, in uh, um, Exodus chapter 20 and also Deuteronomy chapter 5 is used when it lists out the Ten Commandments in those passages. But in the original Greek, it's only listed here in this place. macrochronos that God would bless you with long life. So honoring our parents is a choice. We make a decision. I'm going to honor them, and it's an attitude. It starts with an attitude. Starts with an attitude. Yes, there's pain. Yes, there's hurt. Yes, there may have been that they weren't present when we needed them. But I'm going to choose to honor them. I'm going to find something good. There may have been some hard days. There may have been abuse. There may have been alcoholism. There may have been drugs involved. There may have been times where you had a hope for them to be able to do something. They just weren't there. They didn't show up. For some of you, it may have been that you wished that they were less involved so you wouldn't have to deal with it. But bring healing into your life by learning to honor what you can. Find something good. Cherish that. Cherish that. And God will bring healing into your life. It's not just about young people here. It's about us as well, adults. (laughs) Let's go on and look at the last part here. Before I do that, let me back up just a little bit. Remember remember what the mandate is. What's our mandate? Because keeping an eye on our mandate in the earth is vitally important in why we choose to do the right thing when circumstances aren't right. If I'm a child and I've got a parent who's mistreated me and I've got a parent that's not doing the right thing, why should I do the right thing when I'm facing a situation that's not right? I do the right thing because I've got a mandate. I am supposed to be displaying the character and nature of God. I'm created in his image. What Jesus did to his, with his father, what if your father, <laughs> Abraham and Isaac, son, come up here on this mountain. How about climbing up here on this altar? On top of this wood. And your father binds you and draws out a knife. Hey, pops. You know, but Isaac did that. Now, I'm not giving anyone license to go out and try this out. (laughs) Don't test your children, okay? But then Jesus, the Son of God, born in the earth with a mandate to bring salvation Jesus went all the way to the garden and wrestled with the obedience of going to the cross. It hurt even to know that he was going to die to the fact to where the sweat ran with blood. There was... Apparently, blood vessels bursting under the stress to where when his sweat was coming down, there was blood mix- mixed with it. That's, that only happens. It can't happen in a physical body, a, a human body, but only under times of extreme stress, such strain. Have you ever had such a strain that you burst blood vessels around your eyes or bur- burst blood vessels in your eyes? Have you seen that? You know what I'm talking about? Jesus literally sweat and blood was coming out because of the strain of that. You think... It was just a piece, a cakewalk for Jesus to go to the cross. It wasn't easy. But Jesus exemplified obedience to his Father and was willing to submit even to death on the cross to teach us how to live the life. So when he talks to us and he says, honor your father and mother, does it present a challenge to us? Sure. Sure i was blessed to have a great dad but there were times when i had odds with my dad where where i had a difference of opinion he's human and uh, i remember one time one time getting so angry i slammed the door and walked out everybody goes pastor david did that his dad i did i slammed the door and i walked out i was so upset. I was so upset. I wept. I went down the old country road and went out there and I just cried because my dad was putting a demand on me that I felt it was more about his image than it was about my well being. And it hurt. And I came back and I apologized to him for for disrespecting him. And we hugged and loved on each other and, and were able to be restored. But um make a decision to honor your parents see that decision first then begins to be acted out through honoring in an action and then also obeying even when we have a difference of opinion we need to obey as long as it's not something that's contrary to god's god's word we need to obey and do those things so we're talking i'm talking to adults here most of you are not under your your your, uh, Parents any longer, but it's a good principle to understand the mandate in why we obey, the mandate and why we honor is not necessarily because they're perfect, but it's because we have a calling. We have a purpose in the earth, and it is to reflect God's nature. All right, let's go on to the next one. Verse four says this: "Fathers, do not exasperate. Do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I think this is a very pertinent word for where we are today. And, and uh, firstly, it starts off, the word, the word father here is the word pater. It literally means, let me give you some definitions for the word father, okay? Because I think our concept of what fatherhood is means that that's my baby daddy or that's the person who... who uh, provided one half of the genetic code or that one who was present that night or something like that or that that may have been the man who was in the household but really the word father in this passage right here literally means listen to this it's not just about that initial act that produced a baby the word father here is about a purpose in a child's life it's really nourisher one who is the protector, one who is the upholder. Yes, it is the generator or the one that helped produce the child, but really the mandate there is to be a nourisher, a nurturer, a protector, or one that is up, up, an upholder, someone that's, that's watching over this life and helping this life to develop and mature. That's what a father really is. That's what fathers... If you're a father, that's what God's calling is on your life. Not that you're just present in the household or not that you're just going to work, but you're a nurturer and an encourager, one that's helping to bring these children in your household to maturity, to where they're equipped for what, what they need in life. So it's very possible that the relationship of father may be having to be fulfilled by a mother because there's no father present. It's very possible that this relationship of being a father may have to be fulfilled by someone who chooses to look favorably on a child and chooses to be a nurturer and chooses to be an upholder, someone that steps in to advocate for someone to help them grow up and have the tools that they need for life and for living. It may be that it's someone that is a that, that, that is a, that is a coworker and sees someone that has need. It may be someone that sees that, that somebody is in a church and they see somebody there that needs some encouragement. They realize the foundations that should have been put in that person's life are not there, but you come along as a nurturer, as an encourager, someone to strengthen and raise that person up, but God's got you in that person's life for a purpose to be able to bring them up to where they should be as a mature person in the Lord. And he says here, you know, the parental roles in homes are, are, are changed. I just want to speak to this. Remember the mandate, why we're here. We're here to reflect the character and nature of the Lord. Those children that are in our household that we've been blessed with, those relationships that we have with people where we see that there's fracturing and maybe they don't have the right the, the right. A foundation under life God's got us in their lives so that we can help raise them up to that standard to where they can walk and be the people that God called them to be amen let me just speak this over you okay I remember when I found out that we were pregnant with Hannah it was so exciting and scary at the same time because I thought I don't know how to raise a child I don't know how to change a diaper. I don't know, you know, how we're we going to do this financially. You know, I, there was no, it's all on the, on the job training. <clears throat> There's nobody who started out of, as a parent, they'd already been a parent. Everybody, it's, you're learning as you go. And, and, uh, my mom said, I'm sorry, not my mom, but my, my, when my parents had their first, my brother Philip, um, Philip just, you know, I'm, I want to pick on him, but I shouldn't be doing that. He's gone on to be with the Lord. <laughs> but he was just whining and c- complaining, you know, just fussing away as a little baby. And my dad, one time in the middle of the night, you know how new parents are. I mean, you've been staying up in the middle of the night, and he was just worn out. And my mom's doing her best to take care of what was probably a colicky child, you know. Um, But Philip was was whining and complaining in the middle of the night one night, I think it was the first week, my dad says, Gail, can't can't we just take him back to the hospital? They know how to take care of him there. (laughs) Man, if you ever want to offend a young mother, (laughs) what not to say when you've got a newborn? Can we just take him back to the hospital? They know how to take care of him there. That was a bad move on his part. As parents, We have to depend on the grace of the Lord to teach us how to parent. I want us to have an elevated understanding of our purpose in life as parents, but also as nurturers that the Lord has placed in the earth. Parents, you're not just babysitting kids. These gifts that God has put in your household are not just there to take up the slack around the home. You're not just supposed to be feeding them and clothing them. It's a big mandate, but you have these children in your home so that you can raise them up to reflect the image of God. And I'm going to step on toes. Dads, it's not the mom's image to raise the children. Dads aren't supposed to just go to work, come home, sit on the couch, and be taken care of. Isn't it interesting that this passage says, you know, it says, honor your, your father and your mother, but then it comes to this passage, it says, fathers. Why? Why? I think that the given is that the mom is already a nurturer and a carer, but he's interjecting, Dads, step up to the plate. Come on. Do what you're supposed to be doing. Fathers, now understand, it talks about nurturers too, but it is is intended for there to be more than one that's there that's available to help bear the load. It's a, a big responsibility to raise up children in the image of God. So dads, don't advocate your role as a nurturer and one to instruct the children and bring them up. Your job is not just to react when there's a problem. If you are a parent and all you're doing is correcting bad behavior, wow. Maybe you need to teach what the good behavior is. Maybe you need to exemplify that good behavior. Maybe they're learning off of your script. Does that mean? If all you're doing is correcting bad behavior, maybe you need to start instructing them in righteousness. Maybe you need to start in teaching them why they're even alive in the earth. What is their purpose? They're not here to just to play video games. They're not here just to go through school. If we're abdicating our responsibility and we're just, all I'm doing is feeding them, giving a place to sleep, making sure they got clothes on their back, putting shoes on their feet, send them off and let somebody else teach them how to live life. Send them to the youth class over there and let them teach them how to be spiritual. That's not what God intended. It says here in this passage, Verse 4, instead, bring them up. Fathers, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. If there was never a youth worker in the other building, if there was never a teacher in the schoolhouse, God would be looking at the parents and said, what did you do with the kids I put in your household? If there was no one else, God didn't give your kids to those people. God gave them to you to raise. Now, that being said, you can't always control how those children respond, but our instruction is raise up a child in the way they should go. I'm going to tell you, even if they take a different path, those words stick in their mind. You can't control the path they're going to take, but keep praying for them because the Spirit of the Lord's not done. Amen? The Lord can bring them back. The Lord can bring them back. I'm wanting to be strong on this. Look, parents, our responsibility is to nurture children, to raise them up to be strong. Our our young people the anointing that's on their lives, the, the Spirit of God that's with them is powerful. They're not just, we're not just trying to get them to adulthood so that we can get them out of our house so that we don't have to stay that busy anymore. But we want to input into them what the world's never going to give to them, and that is that they understand what the character and nature of God is, what God's expectations with, is of them, what the blessings and the, and the provision that he's, he's given them, the promises and their purpose in life. So why does it say, dads, don't exasperate your kids? Don't, don't frustrate them. The word there in the Greek can literally train don't, don't, let me, let me read it so I get it right. Don't provoke them to wrath. When all there is just is a heavy hand of discipline and there's no relationship, it severs that tie, it crushes the spirit, it calls them to react instead of respond. When all we're doing is just striking them with our words or with our fist or with our rod of iron. All we're doing is, there's a lot of difference between punishment and discipline. What's the difference? Punishment is reacting to a bad action. Discipline's intent is to teach good. Discipline is giving them a foundation to live by. It's, it's, it's taking them out of something where we discover that there's something that they are making bad choices and that they're, they're on a path that's going to bring destruction in their life. So, you know, punishment is, is just reacting to that and coming down harsh on them. How many of you know that, that jail doesn't fix people? It doesn't fix people. But if someone goes to jail and they can get into a group and have an encounter with someone there or have an experience with the Lord that can change their heart, God can change them. That's what we want, right? But in our homes, if all we're doing is punishing our kids, we're creating a mindset in them that they're just bad. But we're never giving them the tools to be able to live good. That's why it says don't just exasperate them. Dads, be involved in their lives. Don't just react to the the problems. Don't be distant to them, uninvolved, all caught up in your own life, and your own little world that's going on, your own turmoil, and then when there's a problem, you lash out at your kids and tell them to straighten up. I don't know how how she made it that long. (laughs) I was kind of loud when I... I love it. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Nurture. Don't just punish. Discipline. Lead them towards training and instruction. I'm going to, let me just, let me just, I got to go there. (laughs) Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're getting close to the end here. I'm just going to run through a few scriptures because They are G O O D. They're good. 2 Timothy chapter 3. So, where do you go to learn how to raise kids? Where do you go, Dr. Spock? The latest psychological journal? 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 says this All scripture is God breathed. May have been human authors, they may have been putting pen to paper or ink to papyrus or however they did it all scripture is God breathed and is useful in teaching rebuking correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God so that our children so that our offspring those that God put under our care whether they are physical offspring aware of those that we are nurturing in the faith, those we come across in life that need a foundation. so that the man of god may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. thoroughly equipped. You got all you need. I'm thoroughly equipped. I got tools in the tool chest. I got things in the armory. Sometimes I don't ever have to touch them, but if I ever need them, they're right there. God's equipped us with his word. So we need to know his word body of Christ can I just say this don't don't just be dependent on somebody else's Bible study spend time in the Word for yourself be so familiar with God's Word that when you hear something that's contrary you can recognize it spend time in God's Word let's turn over to, to Hebrews chapter 12 Hebrews chapter 12 are you almost there? Hebrews chapter twelve and verse five says this. And have you forgotten the word of encouragement? Listen to that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. And this is what it says: My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when He rebukes you. Look, if if someone rebukes you. And they know that they're correcting you for your good, you can receive that. If someone is just trying to blast you and cut you down and make you feel bad, it hurts. And sure, you want to react to that. But if you know that someone's correcting you and their heart's in the right place, I'm not trying to harm you, I'm trying to lift you up. I see. A broken place. I see something that's going to bring harm on you and I want to lift you up. So son, do not make light of the Lord's dis- discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. So God's punishment, God's discipline is for our good. He's correcting us to get us on the right path. He's giving us instruction to keep us from falling in the pit holes that would bring destruction in our lives. Look at, look at verse 7. Endure hardship as discipline. God's treating you as a son. For what son is not disciplined by the father? Let me just tell you this if you have kids and you don't discipline, you are not showing them love. When I traveled to the Philippines back in 1984, wow, wasn't that a long time ago? One of the things that was interesting in the Philippines was that majority of the churches that we were in contact with were pastored by by women over there. Because they told us that culturally, in in the culture, that, that it was not acceptable to discipline a son. That the sons were allowed to do whatever they wanted to do. That a mother could not discipline a son. They didn't correct the boys. They wanted them to to learn to to do their thing. So they didn't discipline the boys. But what ended up happening that that the boys were growing up without any kind of restraint, without any kind of parameters, without any kind of guidelines. They were just doing whatever they wanted to do. And so when it came to leading a church or or leading a a business even, many times the boys were not dependable because they were just free spirits. If you love someone, you should discipline them. If you love someone, you should lovingly correct wrong behavior, but not just correcting wrong behavior, instruct them in the way they should live. Amen? I like it. Verse 8 says this. If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. So if God loves you, he's going to discipline you. Look, is it okay with you if God points out things that aren't right in your life? (laughs) <laughs> are we willing to submit to that if he no, if we are assured that he loves us and he's doing it for our good? Why wouldn't we listen? Look God's speaking to you. I see something here. That's going to bring a lot of pain in your life It's going to bring a lot of hurt to those who follow you. It's going to be destructive to you I'm giving you this instruction because I love you enough to keep you away from it Don't cut yourself with that sharp knife. Don't Fall in that hole. God's trying to keep us from hurting ourselves. And we're like, "Who? why are you telling me to do that? I, but I like playing with this knife. I, I want to just see how deep that hole is. God's trying to help us out. And then verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. But painful. It doesn't feel good to have someone say that you're messing up. I've had people in my life that told me that I was messing up, and I didn't like it. But it's amazing how after I got to thinking about it, and the Holy Spirit worked on me too, I realized they're right. It still hurts, but they're right. And if I'm willing to listen to the discipline, it says, later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. Did you get that? Righteousness and peace. For those who have been trained by it. So today, we've seen that it's important for us to honor those that God brought us through. Even though they're imperfect, find something to appreciate. Find something of value. After all, at the least, you would not be here. Unless God hadn't put them together. Beyond that, we have a mandate, because we are children of the Lord, that we need to obey. Sometimes we may not like it, but we need the discipline, the learning process of learning how to obey authority that God's put on our life. When it's not something that we're being told to do that's against God's law we need to be willing to obey even when we have other things that seem important to us we need to obey and parents we need to instruct our children in this they should not be reacting they should not we should not tolerate a child talking back to a parent when we instruct them in doing something's right but again we're not just correcting bad behavior we are instructing them in righteousness in the Lord and as parents as nurturers as fathers, as it were, those that God's put in someone's life to help raise them up to a place of maturity in their life where parents and fathers are not just there to get them to an age of adulthood. But are our children who are being raised in our households getting the equipment that they need to live a successful life as an adult? It goes for spiritual life too. Our goal... As disciples in the Lord should be that we're giving the people the tools they need to live a successful life and get to the point where they can be multipliers of the faith into the lives of others. They become disciples themselves. Discipline is a good thing, even when it hurts, as long as it's coming from the right type of spirit. Let's stand together. Look, folks. (coughs) When we talk about how we raise kids, how we treat people in our lives, every one of us, we've got plenty of room to say, I'm sorry, I messed up, I didn't do the best that I could have done. So we all need a little bit of forgiveness in that area in our own hearts, but we also need to be forgiving to those that may have treated us imperfectly. But let's pray for God to give us wisdom in how we, from now on, nurture those that are around us. Father, I thank you for your word. Truly, Lord, it is full of instruction and righteousness, dear God. If we'll listen to your word, if we will apply your word, God, if we'll listen to your discipline, it will bring both righteousness and peace into our lives. So, God, these children, these young adults, dear God, and for some of us it's it's parent, it's it's grandchildren, dear God, that we, we're nurturing and that we're encouraging. Lord, give us the graciousness to recognize, Lord, that we're not just instructing them <coughs> in the right to do's, dear God, but we're teaching the right type of mindset to be able to be successful in life. God, we need your grace, dear God, because very few of us were, were, were past the perfect tools from our parents. Or very few of us have a perfect example where we came from. But, God, you're gracious to equip us, dear Lord, with the tools that we need to be able to, to pass the torch on in a good way. So, Lord, I speak blessings over everybody here, dear Lord. As we go out this week, help us to live and to learn. And, God, help us to be filled with your Holy Spirit. God, use us as agents of light in a dark world, dear God. And I speak blessings over our families, dear God, that our children will be able to look at us. And those that we come in contact with and we're nurturing, dear Lord, may they be able to look at the way we lead them. And, God, may they call us blessed. And, Father, we'll give you the praise and the glory for it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Have a great week.